Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. As always, I am your humble host, Coach Jason Coop, and I am extremely excited about this podcast today. And that is because it is with something that is brand spanking new on the podcast. It is about a technology and a device that is just in its pre-order stage right now. In fact, the week that this podcast goes out, the pre-orders will actually be going live. And that is just sheer coincidence of me and the guest's schedule. On the podcast today, I have the CEO of Nix Biosensors, and that is Meredith Cass. The longtime listeners of this podcast will know that one's hydration status and being able to have a solid hydration plan throughout the course of an ultra marathon is one of the biggest things that you can do for yourself to ensure your performance. However, getting to that answer, getting to the answer of what I should be drinking and how much of what I should be drinking and how much should I be drinking across different temperature and intensity ranges is something of great mystery. We've tried to pin this answer down on a number of previous podcasts, and you guys can go check out the one with Andy Blow in particular. We mentioned him during this podcast. But to do it in the field, to send an athlete out into the field under a certain condition and have them track their sweat losses and the electrolyte composition within their sweat is something that is extremely problematic. I've done that research and we put patches on people and taken patches off people and wrung those patches out and analyzed them and put them on treadmills and measured the sweat coming off of them and rinsed them off and measured all of the water and sweat that went in down into a drain. And all of those solutions, in my estimation, are either archaic or too complicated for the average person. And what Meredith is trying to do with her company, Nix Biosensors, is tr- is to try to make that relatable and in a format that the everyday consumer out there can actually get their hands off of, where you out there, everybody listening out there, can simply put a patch on their arm, go out and run, and figure out how much you're sweating and what the electrolyte composition of that sweat is in order to inform your hydration plan for race day. I met Meredith in December of 2021 at the running event of all places. And the running event is a huge running industry trade show where they were doing their product launch there. And this, I might add, is an extremely bold move. And we talk about that during the very beginning portions of this podcast. Now, the entirety of this podcast might seem like a little bit of a shill. You longtime listeners of, the, of this podcast know that it is not. I have not, and I did not, and I will not take any sponsors for this podcast. And it is precisely because I wanna have conversations like this. I wanna have conversations with new people that are in the space in an unbiased format in a way where I don't feel tethered to the ultimate outcome of that conversation, nor the endorsement or lack of endorsement of that particular product or method. However, I will say that if Meredith's claims come to fruition and the and this product actually works 
as it is intended to work and as the initial data indicates it will, I think that this one is a game changer. And I do not say that a lot. In fact, more often than not, I'm being very cynical about some of the products that are coming to, to market where they promise way more than they actually deliver. I do not think that that is going to be the case with, with what Nick's biosensors has. But you guys can be the ultimate judge of that. So here we go. I'm getting right out of the way. Here's my conversation with Meredith Cass, the CEO of Nick's biosensors. So you got you guys launched at TR at the running event. At, the, yeah. at, TR, at TRE. And I did not know that at the time. Bold move on your part. Yeah. That is not, yeah. I, I see companies every once in a while go to the running event and launch their products, but you have a, a, a technology product that could go horrifically wrong if you yes. launch it there. And uh, so I, before we get like too far into it, cause I think this will, this will kind of start to paint the picture of just how you and I first met and, and yeah. interacted. Take the listeners through this launch at TRE that you that you went through and what you were trying to communicate to to, to the audience because it was really fun. That's, I, I just yeah. thought it was a cool scene. Well, thank you. No, I mean, first of all, yeah, we, it probably was a really bold move. And I would say when we were planning it, you know, as as I'm sure people sort of gather about the world of startups is really nothing goes to plan. Right. So, <laughs> you know, we, we might have intended to, to have our coming out party be in a smaller scale, maybe a, a marathon expo over the fall or, or whatever the case may be. But you know, TRE is just one of those events that's just pretty epic and you really just can't miss that opportunity. So we just, we kind of doubled down and put the pressure on ourselves to say, let's just create the the most captivating activation we can with the limitations that we know are going to be placed upon us. The first one being, you know, that we don't have a dry run somewhere else. And the second one just being, um, placement, you know, as a brand new brand that's never been to the running event before, we don't get prime placement on the floor. <laughs> so we had to really think creatively about how we're going to drive people to the booth. We knew we sat behind um, Saucony in particular, who put up a big wall right in front of our booth. Um, so we just, you know, we had to think about that. And so we were pretty excited to be able to partner with, um, specifically with Mike Wardian and Sally McRae to, to really build awareness and um, not just bring people to the booth so we had a chance to show them what we were working on, but also to really illustrate exactly how the product works by having them do a live demo right there in the booth. And this is this is why, just to make the listeners appreciate this <laughs> this kind of introduction, this is why that's such a bold move because anything yeah. can happen. Your treadmill yeah. can break, the sensors yeah. cannot work, the athletes can fail. You know that they're going all no. that hard, but there's like all these multiple like small failure points and. You're, you you mentioned that, yeah, you could have taken a small step and like dose tested it a little bit at a yeah. regional marathon expo, but you went to the running event where all of the buyers are there, <laughs> all of the stores are there, all the idiots like me are there trying to like figure the whole thing out. And if you said, if you said a bad impression, you're now setting a bad impression across yes. the entire ecosystem of, yeah, of all of runners right <laughs> out of the gate. And with something new, that's super critical, right? I mean, if you get it yeah. wrong right out of the gate, it's like everybody yeah. just goes, man. I saw it at the running of it. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. And maybe that gives you a little insight into my personality. I'm a very, you know, go big, go home kind of person. So no, it, I mean, at the end of the day, it ended up very much in our favor. Of course we had snafus. We hope they were invisible to the attendees. 
Um, and we suspect maybe they were if we're lucky, but yeah, we, we had a really good show. Okay. So you mentioned your go big or go home person. And I want, I want the listeners to kind of understand like who you are and who your team is before we, we get into the the product and the use cases itself. So yeah. I think I met all of them as well at the running. Yeah. So who, like who, who, who is this new company that is yeah. starting to take the, mar- starting to take the small part of the marketplace? Yeah, and I'll I'll try not to bore anybody with kind of the founding story, but I think it's relevant in sort of the direction that that we're thinking about for the technology, which is that um, I actually conceived of Nix while I was in an entrepreneur in residence program, which specifically means it was just me, nobody else for the first 12 months while I was sort of ideating and figuring out um, exactly what we wanted the company to be. And of course, at that point, we as the royal we, because I just said it was just me <laughs> for the first 12 months, <laughs> were really sussing out like, what's the pain point? What are all the nuances of it? What would an, a best fit engineered solution to that problem look like in all of its features, all the way down to cost? Um, and so I, personally, it's sort of a little bit of soapbox material here, but um, I come from a long history of venture creation from the investor seat, from the venture capital seat. And I feel so strongly that the right way to build any company, regardless of what you're doing, is to figure out the problem you're solving, make sure it's a meaningful problem for a large number of people. And like I said, just understand every nuance of that problem so that you can engineer the best fit solution. Because too many companies are doing the opposite, which is let me see what cool stuff I can build, which is a noble pursuit, um, but then forcing it down someone's throat and trying to figure out how to sell it to them. So, so those first 12 months were really about what exactly is it that we're trying to build? What does it need to look like? Because then that gave me the opportunity to figure out who is the team to help bring it to life. Um, so now as, as we sit today, we made our, um, we made a hire the week of the running event, by the way, she started just that week. So we are a team of seven. We are very small and scrappy. We're mostly based in the Boston area, um, having spun out of Harvard, but, um, but getting a little more dispersed as we go. So it's, you know, three on the commercial side, three on the product side and me. (laughs) Okay. So fundamentally, what problem are you trying to solve? This is such a great question because as we think about where we are right now in the very early stages of our company, in the very early stages of commercialization, we are all about that sort of hydration coach in an endurance athlete's ear. So that's about how do we give them real-time data that's actually coming off their body, not some generic calculation like calorimetry, which, which has limitations with respect to accuracy, but how do we measure the sweat and the content of the sweat coming off an endurance athlete's body and give them that information in the most seamless way, presumably on some device they're already using, like their Garmin watch, um, so that they know exactly when, what, and how much to drink and build that hydration strategy. That is the core of what we're doing. And to that problem, I can tell you as a practitioner in the field for the last 20 years, that's an important problem to solve. It's not, it's also not a very easy one. No. (laughs) And, and so I think that before we, we get into Nick's specifically, there are other ways to try to solve this problem and they range from kind of what I use, which are caveman ways, caveman and cavewoman ways, very simplistic, very rudimentary, very, very generic to 
complicated and invasive and may not be relevant is the is the scope right. is the scope of the the current solutions right. that are out there and i and i Absolutely. mean that i mean that with all seriousness the people that are watching the youtube can see meredith nodding her head over the other yeah. over the other end because i've always viewed that as not acceptable in the endurance yeah. community and in the athletic community when i look at kind of yeah. how we have to do this it's i'm just like this is a terrible way to do it it's right. rife with air. You're not getting the right results, and you're and you're doing something where, in many cases, not all cases, many cases, the counsel that you're providing based on the information that you're getting is material to the outcome. And if Absolutely. you don't, if you don't, if you don't have the right information, it's yeah. you're just kind of guessing that you get it right. So Absolutely. let's lay the landscape of how one would solve this hydration coach in your ear problem before Nick's entered the scene. And I think that it's it's just a good setup to. If I really wanted to do this right, or at least try to do it right, this is how I would go about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like you framed that perfectly too, because obviously I'm I'm biased in that we conceived of this solution, but to hear someone else iterate the thoughts around like the way that the way that we have to solve it now or the methods that we have are legitimately archaic. I mean, it, that just sort of validates <laughs> exactly what we're trying to do, right? So, you know, the way we look at it is um, whether you are somebody at the front of the pack or the back of the pack. And I should mention when we think about our, for whom we solved this technology, it's um, endurance athletes across all sports, running, cycling, try, um, but also from the front of the pack to the back of the pack. So we know that there are differences in some practices of how a really dedicated athlete especially, you know, an elite or sub-elite athlete might approach something like this. But the reality is the tools are all the same. And they are um, thirst, first and foremost, right? Use what use what God gave us. Um, and I'll sort of go through what these are and then the challenges as I see them. But thirst is sort of first and foremost. Um, second is you can absolutely do weigh-ins and do some understandings and calculations of what your average sweat rate might be. Um, and then the third one, this one really cracks me up. If you, if you do any Googling around hydration strategy, you're going to get one of two things. You're going to get a recommendation to look at your urine color, which makes me laugh every time. Um, or you're going to get some generic guideline and a representative guideline might say, you know, drink somewhere between 500 milliliters and 1.5, um, liters per hour. So the, the challenges with all of these, first and foremost, with thirst, there's now um, a really robust body of literature out there that basically says if you're relying on thirst, you're going to end up consuming about 50 percent of the fluids you've lost. Most of that literature comes from the Soldier Research Center here in Massachusetts, um, who studied that pretty extensively. But um, but that's the real challenge there. Thirst is going to get you 50 percent of the way there. Um, the second one with weigh-ins is actually the gold standard of measuring sweat rate and, and fluid needs. So it's, it's actually pretty accurate. The problem is it's completely useless when you're out in the field. <laughs> you're not going to be weighing yourself before and after a workout or a race. Um, and it changes every day. So, you know, your sweat rate, intuitively, we know your sweat rate's not the same when it's, you know, 30 degrees out in overcast like it is here in Boston today versus, you know, 70 degrees and 80% humidity in bright sun somewhere else. So, you know, that sweat rate is accurate, but it only helps you on that one day and it's completely obsolete the next day. Urine color, pretty obvious why that's not useful in the field. You're probably not urinating into something with a white background that you can even assess <laughs> what the color of that urine is. Um, not to mention, usually that's a better measure of what your kidneys are doing 
than what your hydration status is. And we can get into that, but I always use the very glib example of if you're out drinking with your friends, your urine is clear, but it's not because you're well hydrated. It's because of what your kidneys are being signaled to do in that <laughs> moment in time. Um, so, I mean, so th those are some of the challenges right there. Um, the last one on the guidelines is just illustrative, obviously, of the massive variability among athletes. And we see it um, in terms of sweat rate and, and composition of that sweat. We see certain trends by age, gender, um, fitness level or heat acclimatization, but but by all means, it's a massive distribution of sweat rate um, that really there, there just can't be a sort of one size fits all. So that prompts people to the trial and error, right? A lot of your listeners are a lot more experienced than, than some of these sort of, you know, first time marathoner, for example. But, um, but even then, I mean, we see elite athletes getting it wrong all the time. And, you know, I always think back to, um, we have a relationship with Shalene Flanagan. We think all the time to the 2016 trials in LA where she barely made that yeah. third position and made the team. So, you know, it happens, it happens, this sort of guessing game goes wrong, regardless of where you sit in the back. It's so you went through a lot of field activities and I'll throw out my anecdote yeah. right here where, while well, you get the lab ones queued up in your head as well. So we've done field ones where it kind of, it's kind of a little bit of high rate versus a field in the lab where we're using weight yeah. in the field. And we've used this a lot in like team settings, right? So you have a team, they go out and practice, they're wearing, they're wearing some sort of absorbent patch on their yeah. skin. You weigh them before you weigh them afterwards. That gives you the total amount of sweat loss. And that's even problematic. I hate to like trivialize it. Is that like, yeah. that's not, that's not an easy thing to, that's not an easy thing, yeah. easy thing to do when you want to get precise measurements, but then you're right. collecting those patches and somehow extracting the sweat out of it. And then analyzing that sweat with laboratory kind of great, great equipment. And I remember when yeah. we do this with teams, everybody would have their own like individual, like Tupperware that it would sit in and label. Then, yeah. you know, you'd bring it back to the lab and you'd either wring it out or like literally <laughs> literally ring it out or like extract it somehow with a syringe, yeah. but all very, it, it, and that's not quote unquote invasive, but all just very archaic where I just look at yes. it. I'd get it to the end of the day and be like, okay, I've got some useful information here, but there's gotta be a better way. There's just, there's gotta yes. be a better way. So we've also tried to do this in the lab, which even gets more ridiculous in my opinion. <laughs> and you, you know, the, you know, you know how it's traditionally done in the lab. So how yes. would we take some of these field studies and actually do it in a laboratory study where we're trying to determine sweat rate and sweat composition? Yeah. And, and some of the technologies you're referring to also, you know, the challenges, like you said, is that you're not actually even getting moment by moment data, right? right. You're having yeah. to, especially if you're using some of these absorbent patches, you're having to wait maybe 15, 30 minutes yeah. for there to be a volume of sweat collected yeah. that you can even wring out and yeah. put into the machine, which for us is a benchtop osmometer that, that you can even put, you know, you need 50 microliters for that. You might need half an hour yeah. to, yeah. to gather the amount of sweat to do that. So, I mean, that was a big, a big focus for us is how do we make sure, again, if we're thinking forward to the best fit solution, we're thinking about something that's updating continuously in real time, right? So how do we bring some of those lab-based methods out to the field so that it's convenient for a user? The answer is we use a device that's not just collecting all your sweat in one, you know, one bolus that you measure at the end. It's that we are sampling it every single second to see how that's changing in real time. Because the reality is your workout is changing, right? Yeah. The, the weather is changing over the course of your workout. You might be going up the hill. You might be, especially if you're in training, you might be changing your intensity or your pace throughout that workout. So 
Um, so what we did was we tried to leverage um, certainly the weigh-ins and things like that we use as our gold standard. That's how we calibrate our algorithms. But the intent was learning, like we need to be making sort of these micro measurements every second and then reporting them back to the user in aggregate in a way that's actually going to be actionable for them. Okay. So let's, we're getting into the patch a little bit. So let's describe, just try to try to describe what the patch visually looks like to this person who's not watching the YouTube, who's just listening to the podcast, size, scope, how heavy it is, where does it go? Like all those things, just so we can kind of get a mental image of what's going on here. And then we can kind of go into how it actually works. Yeah, that's good to point. So, um, and I will show it for those that are that are watching on the video, but um, we think about our platform in kind of three components. Um, two of them actually get paired together and worn on the body. Um, the patch is the main piece. That's an adhesive piece. You literally peel a backing off and stick it to your arm. It's about two inches or so in diameter, two and a quarter inches. Um, attached to that is a small um, electronic component, um, which we call the pod. So those literally pair together physically. Um, there's a nice little click when those are paired together um, and those get stuck directly on the bicep. Um, there's a lot of reasons why we like the bicep instead of somewhere else on the body. We'll come back to that. But what's happening there is that patch is the piece that is collecting the sweat and the pod is providing just enough electronic power to make those readings and then send the data via Bluetooth. So together, put together, the pod is smaller than the patch. Together, they're, like I said, about two and a quarter inches in diameter. They weigh less than half an ounce, very, very lightweight, and they're smaller than the Garmin. Or at least the pod is Good much visual than my there. Garment. Very nice. Good visual with the so, garment. <laughs> so the uh, I will say too the the adhesive on the patch is made of a kinesiology tape, very similar to KT tape or rock tape. If if some of you guys are using that, um, but really there's a sort of the reports that we get from testing is once you've put that on the body, you kind of forget about it altogether, and then you'll get that data on your, you know. Your phone, if you're an athlete that does that, more likely you're you're somebody that's using a Garmin watch or if you're a cyclist, you know, maybe your bike computer. Um, but again, wanted to make it as unobtrusive, as unobtrusive as possible. And so it's measuring sweat throughout the course of an activity, workout, race, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. What's the range of that capability? Can you can it keep measuring it for 30 minutes, for an hour, for two hours? We just mentioned some of the practical limitations of measuring things in the field. Like, are, what are the practical limitations of continuously measuring it through the NICS device? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't bore you with sort of the scientific detail of how to solve that problem, but many microfluidic devices do have sort of a timestamp on on the limitation of how long they're useful for, because once that path is full, right. you know, the, the physics of it or that the fluid stops flowing through and so you stop getting readings. Um, so we were very careful to design it so that it could be used in a way that the patch technically never expires. There's no limit to how long it can be used. Um, so the, the sort of usage limiting factor is actually the battery. Um, so we designed the battery to be capable of taking readings and reporting readings for up to 24 hours. That's what it's currently capable of. And certainly there are ways to tune that up or down um, as we potentially roll out future versions of this. So if I want to go run the Leadville Char 100, which usually takes me about 20 hours on a good year, I could wear the patch the whole time and theoretically get sweat sodium and sweat rate measurements the entire that time. That is correct. And that was a very deliberate choice for us. It's like we can't. My, my 20 hour lead goal marathon was a very deliberate. 
Yeah, we cannot build a, I mean, literally that's the proving ground, right? Seriously. Is, we'll get into the physiology of, of, you know, dehydration and why it's so much harder for longer distances. But, you know, even though the, the ultra marathoning field is, is pretty small compared to endurance sports, you know, at large, we absolutely knew we had to, you know, create a solution that was going to work for this segment. Well, I was curious about that starting from when I walked up and saw Sally and Mike Wardian, two great ambassadors at the, at the running event. And so my audience, sometimes they kind of get lost in things. The running is is like 90% road and marathon and stuff like that. And maybe 10% trail and, and ultra. So to pick those two athletes very specifically, for what you're doing is very telling, but we're going to, we're going to pause that for a second. Cause we're still on, we're still, we're still on the device itself. So <laughs> whenever you come up with these things, you've mentioned this earlier, you have to measure it against a gold standard. Yeah. And there are going to be people out there that will always say, how in the world is this little tiny device capable of what these huge bench lab instruments are capable of that are, you know, a hundred or 200 times bigger and 500 times more expensive and have to be handled with very, you know, delicate gloves, quite literally, so to speak, how, Mm -hmm. what is it measured against? And what, how would you kind of like, uh, describe the, the validation, I guess, of the technology that you're using? Yeah, really good questions. These are so important ones. And and the reality is anybody that's taking a massive scale lab-based instrument and miniaturizing it to be worn on the body, of course, there's a little bit of a trade-off in accuracy, right? Are we 100% accurate? No, of course we're not. Um, And that was never the goal. The goal is how do we take these really sort of validated, time-tested, lab-based, you know, practices and create a version of that that's that's practical and accessible and affordable um, on the road. So specifically what we did is I was sort of alluding earlier to a certain amount of fluid that needs to be collected to put that into a bench top osmometer. That is the gold standard. An osmometer, by the way, uses um, freezing point depression to understand the electrolyte content of a fluid, obviously in this case, sweat. Um, so that is the lab-based method at the moment, right? You're, you're collecting some volume of sweat, you're, you're squeezing it out into a little vial that you're putting into a benchtop osmometer. So instead of making you run with a benchtop osmometer, which is probably the size of a bread box, um, what we did was basically create, um, and no visuals here on the podcast, but we created a, a flow path through this patch that has two electrodes one of them is stimulating an electrical signal and the other one is receiving it. And in between is your sweat. So what's happening is we're sending that signal through your sweat and the more electrolytes are in that sample between those two electrolytes, um, the better that electrical signal is conducted. When the electrolyte content there is lower, that signal is not conducted as well. It is impeded more. So based on the value between those two electrodes that we're measuring, we can understand with actually with very good precision, the electrolyte content between those two electrodes. And then we use other methods. We know exactly how far apart those electrodes are spaced. We know exactly how much um, signal we're sending in. So when we get that impedance signal through the sweat, that's how we understand exactly what the electrolyte content is. 
for fluid losses. Oh, well, let me put, let me put a pause on that. Yeah, so what you mean? So electrolyte content being what? Right, because there's a lot of electrolyte content in sweat. Let's make sure that we kind of run through the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. So what we're looking at right now is what's referred to as osmolality. So we are looking at the concentration of sweat in aggregate. Right now, we don't have ion specificity, so we're not going to be giving you how many milligrams of sodium versus potassium versus chloride. That is something that will be a future feature for us. Um, but right now, it's looking at um, electrolyte content as a whole in okay. aggregate. Okay. I think that's important for people to understand because yeah. very unfortunately so, and we can talk about why this is unfortunate, yes. too, much, too much detail gets put on some of the other electrolytes that are not all that meaningful, but that's another Yeah, story. that's a good point. No, it's a really good point. Um, and, you know, just the realities of a tiny venture-backed company is we, unfortunately, we had to create a wish list of, yeah. you know, what makes the first cut and what are we going to roll out post, post-launch. Okay. okay. So let's go to the concept. Let's go to the, to the volume then piece of it yeah. that you're getting into. So that exact method I was just describing that gives us electrolyte content, we do with those two electrodes, we do that exact same process further down the flow path in the exact same patch. So we actually have two pairs of these electrodes inside our patch. Um, the reason doing it twice gives us fluid losses is that because in real time, our algorithm is looking at the live data. I'm sort of, if anybody's watching the video, I'm, I'm sort of showing what that data stream might look like. It's a sine wave. Um, over time, right? There's a wave. Yeah. You're not, it seems counterintuitive, but we're not just sweating at a flat electrolyte rate at all times. It actually is fluctuating. So as our sensor is measuring those fluctuations at that first pair of electrodes and doing the exact same at that second pair of electrodes, there's a delay as the sweat is moving from point A to point B from the first pair of electrodes to the second pair. So what our algorithm is doing is it's identifying those local peaks and troughs in those, in those waveforms and identifying what the time delay is from point A to point B. And so by doing that, our algorithm knows how quickly the sweat is moving through the system. Mm. So I mentioned earlier that patch is just sitting on the bicep. We have been very specific about knowing the surface area of the bicep that, that our sensor is collecting sweat from. There's a very specific opening in that, um, in that patch. So basically that, that time delay that I was just mentioning, that's telling us the local sweat rate right there on the bicep. It's just for that tiny footprint on the bicep. So we have a whole nother set of algorithms. And this is on honestly, this is the trickiest part, whole nother set of algorithms that's extrapolating what's happening on the bicep to what's happening across the entire surface area of the body. And the reason that one's so hard is because obviously we sweat very differently at different sites on the body. And the the reason that I mentioned some of the more archaic uh, ways of analyzing sweat uh, and that that we've used over the years is just for what what you just mentioned because a lot of people are going to think how indicative is my sweat rate across this area of my whole right. body and if you can imagine there has been I would call it copious amounts maybe somebody would not describe it as that much but I think it's copious amounts of research where they've just had patches yeah. everywhere. 
have them yeah. on their shoulder, yeah. have them on their bicep, have them on their leg, have them on their calf, have them on the lower back, on their upper back, yeah. on their forehead. But I don't know if forehead's actually one of them. I'm just making that part Absolutely up. Absolutely is, yeah. Okay, so there you go. Forehead's actually one of them. I got that one right, despite myself. <laughs> and and correlated all of those across large population sets. Yes, yeah. there's intra-individual variability, but but yeah. essentially your algorithms, right, are, are taking yeah. that well-established research and saying, yeah. we know what the bicep is. How does that translate into whole body sweat? You're not just making yeah. it up. You're yeah, using an exactly. established body of literature of what I would call, I would say that that's a robust body of literature in, in my estimation. I think so too. I think so too. And I, I think, you know, that's obviously partly why we leverage it. It's also an opportunity for us to, you know, leverage what's already known, right? There, there are certain economies of scale that we need to be considering as a startup as well, that we don't have the opportunity to, to completely reinvent that body of literature. So why not, why not leverage what these experts have already discovered um, where, you know, we can come up with our own sort of nuanced innovations um, without reinventing that piece, that sort of local to full body extrapolation. If that already exists in the public domain, by all means, we'll, we'll leverage it. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of the public domain, I'm going to put you on the spot on the validation piece of this, because yeah. I actually don't know if this is in the public domain. Is your validation work in the public domain yet? It is not yet. Okay, I didn't it think I didn't think so. Yet. Okay, how much of the curtain can you peel back on that? Because once again, you've got a product; people are yep. trusting it that it's telling them exactly what's going on. It's not in a magic black box or anything like that, and just That's spitting right. out yep. kind of random numbers. And I know, yep. I, you know I have enough trust in you just in our few interactions that we've had to to ascertain that you have looked at what your sensors are spitting out compared to what the gold standard is. Yeah. So what can you tell the listeners about that, even though it hasn't been put in the public domain yet? Yeah, absolutely happy to share because it is so important. So we think about that validation, that body of our own internal validation in a few different ways. The first one is that we actually break down each step of how our patch and our algorithms work and we validate each individual step. So for example, that first step of how do we know that whatever impedance signal we're getting correlates really well to the osmolality of, you know, the fluid or the sweat that's measured there. So we will break down just that piece and validate just that piece, which by the way, is in the 99% range. Um, then that second piece of how do we, how do we make sure that the, um, there's a temperature correction piece in there as well, right? So if you're taking that measurement at 37 degrees versus 90 degrees, um, that measurement is actually, it changes a little bit because of the properties of that fluid expansion, contraction, and so on. Think back to, you know, chemistry 101. Um, so there are steps like that that we can isolate and test. And all of those are in the 98 to 99% range, which we're very, very content with. Um, broader, more macro scale is where it gets harder. So with fluid losses, as we mentioned, if we're thinking, you know, tally up the data that our, our sensor is collecting, tally up the fluid losses and the electrolyte losses over the course of a workout. How do we validate that our total um, electrolytes and, and fluid ounces lost measures up with what actually happened? We use some of those same lab-based methods that we talked about before. So we will put somebody, maybe it's in an environmental chamber or maybe it's just at room temperature, but we do very carefully restrict fluid intake, you know, we sort of, we restrict it to a time period where they're not using the restroom or doing any other activities that are going to change their weight. 
um, it is very laborious. Those research designs <laughs> but, suck. They suck. They're oh, it's so horrible. Hard to do. They're, They're so yeah, hard to do. It, it's horrible. But it's so important, and I'm I'm sort of coming back around to how we then are planning on publicizing some of this information. But it's so important that we do that to make sure that we're in a range of of accuracy that's going to be first of all helpful not hurtful because we'll get into this, but you know, if, if there's a certain tolerance for our product of making sure that, you know, if, if we have any instances of inaccuracy, how do we ensure that an athlete's not going to get hurt? Right. That's our number one priority. Um, and then the, the third one is, you know, on body electrolyte losses. There's actually no way to do that on body. The only way we can do that is, and you were alluding to these earlier, some of these crazy lab based methods. We have to literally do a full body wash down yeah. to wash all of the electrolytes off the surface of somebody's skin, collect all of that in a drain in the floor, <laughs> and then measure that. So, so some of these lengths that we've gone to are, are really quite detailed, but I'll, I'll give you a little spoiler alert. Um, we have not yet published this, this data, but for the first um, validation study where I think it was 76 subjects, if I'm not mistaken, um, we found that our accuracy was 83%. So mm -hmm. to, to put some definition around what that means, um, if somebody lost, you know, 10 ounces, we were within 83% accuracy of that number. And the reason that's important for us, first of all, we, we referenced earlier that drinking the thirst only gets you to about 50%. So it was really important that we far exceeded the tools that athletes have available to them today. But the second piece is, you know, thinking about what is that, you know, if it's 83% accurate, what is that extra 17% leaving behind? Are we, are we risking, like I said earlier, you know, the safety of that athlete. And the reality is the way that we did the analysis is that that 17% error, if that's what we want to call it, um, still kept athletes within 1% of their starting body mass. And we can, we can take a little sort of tangent here and talk about how we define dehydration. But, yeah. but basically what that means is we kept athletes, if they followed our data, we kept athletes within 1% of their starting body mass, which is Amazing. I mean, we yeah. couldn't have dreamt of results that good. Yeah. And I, so I appreciate the candidness that you have with that, because I think all too often when devices uh, come out, they purport things that they are actually not, either in of terms course, of yeah. accuracy or the totality of yeah. what they are actually pre presenting. And I just hope the listeners can appreciate, A, the multi-step part of it, but B, just being very honest about we realize that there's going to be some accuracy loss and is that accuracy loss tolerable in an athletic context? Right. And as long as I know that from as a once again, I'm taking this information or athletes are taking this information and saying, yeah, drink more, drink less, drink more stuff with electrolytes in it, drink less stuff with electrolytes. And it, it kind of comes down to that, right? right? If you can get it to the level of granularity that you need to present that advice, good. And you can get more yeah. widespread adoption. Great, you've kind of solved. You've kind of solved. You've solved the problem there. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciate that candidness with uh, which you're which you're gonna uh, which you're gonna present that. When is all that research due out? Can you give a ballpark? Estimate? Yeah. So we are in the process of launching our new website um, that's got a lot more content, including a lot of white papers that we've written internally. But we're also in this. I mean, we're sort of focused here right now on the endurance athlete, and we don't you know, I don't need to bore your listeners with kind of what our commercial path as a company looks like, but 
we envision a path that expands from endurance, you know, from the endurance athlete to the team sport athlete to the tactical athlete in the context of the military and then the industrial athlete, which, you know, is anything from firefighting to construction working to agricultural. So we have a whole sort of roadmap in front of us um, that we need to consider as we think about our validation package and information that we put out there. So we already have um, certain pilot partnerships underway with groups across that whole spectrum, um, which are um, in basically we'll be producing peer-reviewed literature that will be published more widely. So the listeners of this podcast are going to know, are you going to have a data set that's bigger than Andy blows? Because he, that's his claim <laughs> to fame. He's got the, we both know Andy, he's a colleague right. of both of ours. He's been on the podcast and I'll link, I'll link yeah. that up in the show notes, but his claim to fame is he has the biggest data set on this, on this, not in the same, the exact same context that you have, but from a sure. sodium composition. And I, I believe him, but <laughs> he has Absolutely. that. You, you might exceed that because your stuff is more portable essentially. Well, I, I certainly think that when we really engage and and roll out our pre-sales and then certainly our commercial launch, I mean, the the limit to the amount of data that we can collect is, I mean, there is no limit, right? That's that's the beauty of the way that we've designed the product is that we ship it to you, you use it, and it and it kind of goes forward. So while Andy, who's wonderful, and his team have had you know years of opportunity to collecting this this bolus of data. Um, you know, it's, it's more on sort of a one-off perspective. I mean, our, our initial packaging has four instance, you know, four patches, four use cases right in that first package that becomes sort of automated. So what I get excited about is the, just the massive potential of that data that we can then back correlate to things like, what was the temperature for that data set? What was the humidity? How fast were they running? Were they male or female? The, the insights that we can pull out of that data set on the back end, um, you know, once we have, I mean, I'll say right now, we've got about 10,000 people on our pre-orders list that um, 10,000 data points right there. Ah. The whole package is 40,000. So, you know, that data, that data explosion is very real. Throw the gauntlet down right out of the get-go. Yeah, but you started shipping it. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. I love it. It's exactly. like inevitably what happens with that stuff. And you know, there's better than I do, right? Is when you get better, when you, when you get better, uh, or a wider and a more broad set of people using it, you realize how much more individualized all of these different things that you're measuring are. I mean, anytime yeah. you've moved a data set from, the N of 12 that you get in this typical sports science world to the N of yeah. thousands or the ends of tens of thousands, that yeah. bell curve gets a little bit wider each time you get yeah. that each time you get that iteration. And I think this is good. This is going to be one of those, um, yeah. in, inevitably over the course of time you got, there's, we got time to figure that out though. That's a lot of people, a lot of people to go through. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Let's circle back to the ultra running stuff. Yeah. This is super curious for me and you can satiate my curiosity first and then we'll get to the the practical point of it second. So I'm going at the running event. I know it's a lot of road running nerds, you know, the carbon fiber shoes everywhere and, you know, 10, 10 ounce handheld water Mm -hmm. bottles. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the scene there. Yeah. You had two ultra runners in your booth at the running event, running on a treadmill, using your uh, using the Nix patches. Is that what you're officially calling them? The Nix yeah, patches. Yeah, like, I want to make sure I get the brand. They're so new. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Two <laughs> ultra runners there specifically. And yes, Mike and Sally are great. They're great yeah. ambassadors. They're great humans. They're great yeah. people, but it's a very, in my mind, 
I'm going I'm switching from my coach hat to my marketing hat. I view that as a deliberate choice by a new manufacturer to put on the treadmill yeah. to ultra runners in a road centric environment. Yeah. Why was that? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the reality is just the very basics of sort of illustrating that if our technology and our product can work for sort of the, the peak of the peak, right? The tip of that pyramid, if it can be deployed over a 24 hour period, if it can handle the types of, you know, cumulative fluid losses and electrolytes that, that an athlete of that caliber is, is putting it through its paces then in theory, it should work for any other athlete that follows behind them, whether they're at a shorter distance or a slower pace or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, it's always strategic when you're working with athletes to really almost illustrate these kind of these sort of edge cases, if you will, these extreme cases um, to signal to the rest of the folks that, you know, it's probably going to work for their needs, too. You know, you could have cajoled Mike into doing a 24 hour treadmill run. Out we there. talked about it. I'm sure. He I, to do oh, he would have done it. Yeah. Oh, he would have loved it. Yeah. He he literally said, like, how many hours do you want us on the treadmill? I said four. And he said, Oh, it's no problem. <laughs> four. Can I get there before so I can get my workout in? Exactly. But here so so kind of reeling it back to the practical standpoint, I think ultramarathon is your best target audience in terms of how much impact it can actually have. And I've talked about this with a number of uh, hydration experts on this podcast, because you can get away with doing stupid things for one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, maybe, maybe, maybe even five hours if the conditions are are correct. But it's hard to do that in an ultra marathon situation. You pay the penalty for failure quite dramatically. So, and we see this you know, you mentioned earlier, you see this kind of lit, you see this like littered across the competitive landscape where even professional athletes and elite athletes, they screw this up and, you know, it could have horrific consequences from a performance perspective, uh, in, in, in ultra running. I I think that that's your like market to figure it out first. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's the proving ground, right? Like just this concept that, Um, I mean, it exists at every distance, but especially at ultra is, you know, every decision that you're making from a hydrating and and fueling perspective from literally mile one has cumulative impact as you get further along. Right. Um, I'm not an ultra marathoner, full disclosure. I am a very average marathoner. I'm a four hour marathoner. Boston medal in the background. I can see that. Very well placed. Um, but you know, that, that adage of like the decisions that you make in miles one through five is a very sort of marathon centric concept, but, but is infinitely more true at the ultra distance is, you know, those decisions you're making in the first five miles have everything to do with how you're feeling and performing in the last five miles. Um, and again, it's just, you know, that's amplified tenfold when you're talking about, you know, hundred mile, 150 mile races and longer. hundred percent. So how are you advising people actually use the product? And I think this might get to some brass tacks with athletes that are out there that are listening that are either thinking about just figuring this thing out for themselves anyway, right? Yeah. I, I think I'm a salty sweater or I always have you know, right. these issues in long or hot races or whatever. And some right. of the way that you recommend using this product it, uh, it obviously, you know, helps move the product, but also it helps kind of stimulate people to think, okay, this is how I could potentially go, go and solve this. So somebody right. inquires to your sales team mm-hmm. or somebody, you know, 
picks up a box of them. We'll go over like how they're shipped and distributed and things like that. In a second. Sure. Like yeah. how are you advising that they actually use it to glean this information out of it? Yeah. And, and this is one of the hardest parts, right? Because we know there's going to be a little bit different usage patterns depending on sport, depending on, you know, distance or talent level. The, the baseline for us so that we can give some people some place to start from is actually really um, analogous to fueling. So what we sort of say is if you're turning in a workout that's, you know, in excess of, let's say, an hour, you're, you should be thinking more strategically about your hydration. So... What that looks like is if you're turning in any workout, midweek, long run, whatever the case may be, that's an hour or longer, use a patch that can start to, to measure what's happening on that workout. All that data, by the way, gets stored in the app and used for the future. So even if you're only doing, you know, a 10 mile midweek run, right? Not something crazy, you know, uh, sort of high intensity or anything like that. Um, every data point that you use it for can help inform a future workout based on, I think the, the part we haven't really gotten to here is that as we're capturing all that sweat profile information, we're also capturing the environment that you were in when you produced that sweat profile. So we're capturing temperature, humidity, wind speed, cloud cover, altitude, um, all of those metrics such that when you go for a future workout in similar conditions, we're going to calculate that sweat rate and electrolyte loss rate for you on that future day. So when you think about use cases, there's kind of two, two priorities. First is um, what are the types of runs where I need that data in real time? And then also how do I continue to fill out my own personal data sort of profile, my own sweat profile, so that I'm feeding that future predictive model. And the way, the way I look at it as a coach is you're, you're building a profile, right? You're building a profile yeah. on different, mainly different temperature conditions, maybe temperature and humidity, if there's a certain use case, and then maybe yeah. intensity on top of that, that wouldn't be, yeah. I wouldn't say that's the most practical kind of use case, but I, I personally, right. I just do a 10 degree increments. I figure that gives yes. me enough granularity where I know what's going on. And so four to six patches would be the perfect kind of you, yeah. if I were to send that package out to an athlete, like me buying it and sending it to one of my athletes, which I do a lot with technology, that's kind of how I would set it up. I'd get, you know, yeah. four to six, I'd send them out, do them in these conditions. We'd build the profile and we double check yeah. it, you know, across the kind of the critical ones and just go from there. Yep. And you nailed it. That's exactly how we package it. It's yeah. four patches per pack. Um, then again, it's sort of built with Somebody like me, it probably only makes sense for me to use it on my long run because I'm not, you know, I'm not training for ultras. So, um, so that that could be the base case as you're using it once a week on that long run, but building up to, I mean, especially when we're thinking about our, our cycling and triathlon folks as well, I mean, there may be workouts or, or bricks midweek too, that makes sense. So, you know, could be up to three, four times per week. Yeah. So how does it stack up to the Gatorade patch? which people are going to be familiar with. I should have asked you this like two questions ago. It totally escaped me, but there, there is a, like a light, what I would call a light competitor. And what I yeah. mean by that is, is like physically, at least it yeah. looks exactly the same. It purports to do the <laughs> exact same thing. It's almost like yep. Garmin and Sunto, right. Or Garmin and Coros or whatever. It's a smartwatch. Right, exactly. It captures GPS technology. What are the right. differences between those two? But this is something that's a little, that's I'd say more, early stage development, right? In terms of technology and things like that. Sure. What's the differences between those two now that people are going to be familiar with, with both products? 
Yeah, absolutely. And maybe I'll even start with the similarities. I mean, the the differences in the actual patches um, are are probably not even readily apparent, right? They're both disposable patches that you stick to the body one time, you know, for Gatorade on the forearm, for us on the bicep, um, you know, really seemingly similar use cases um, where each of those patches is trying to do some analytics um, on the sweat as it's coming off the body, which, you know, they're, they're, competitors that have not launched yet um, that are still sort of academic stage that are trying to approach solving this problem in a totally different way. But that right there is direct sweat sensing is a, is a very um, comparable approach, but that's kind of where the the similarities end (laughs) Um, on Gatorade side. There are no electronics, which at first glance, first sort of blush may seem like a benefit, but the the challenge there is that um, then the data that you're getting is not continuous or real time for that matter. So our, our electronic component um, does have the added benefit of measuring that sweat every second and sending that data to your Garmin watch or your bike computer or, or whatever device you're already measuring that workout on. For Gatorade, you can only get that data at the end of your workout. You finish that workout, you scan it with your phone, you know, with the camera um, on your phone, and it's giving you cumulative um, data, you know, throughout, throughout that whole workout. So we'll give you that cumulative data at the end, but we're also giving it to you literally minute by minute or second by second while that workout is going on and sending you notifications in the interim to say, as you set them, you know, tell me every time I've lost four ounces so I can drink those four ounces or however you want to interact with those notifications. Um, the other big change, you know, as, as far as the real-time data, which we offer is, um, there's not much of an opportunity for that predictive model in the Gatorade platform. They're not tracking your historical data. They're not correlating it with the environment um, in a way that you can look and say, all right, well, today I'm doing a workout and it's 70 degrees out or 50% humidity. What is my sweat rate likely to be? There's no recall through Gatorade unless you are putting in the exact workout that you've done before in the exact conditions that you've recorded it before. And there's no way to sort of visualize that. So that's kind of one of the main differences there. I mean, you know, to get to a technical level, it is using different IP and stuff like that. But um, really, it's the use case. And then, you know, maybe the sort of uh, sort of elephant in the room, obviously, is if you're using a Gatorade product, imagine what brand they might be trying to promote you to replenish with. Right. So, again, from the beginning, we've been really adamant that we are brand agnostic. We don't care what it is that you're hydrating with. We want to give you the data to make that selection. And within. So first off, I I appreciate your candor with that. How material are those differences? Because we went through a couple. We we, we went. Yeah, we went through a couple scenarios of where even your own patch, right, has a level of inaccuracy associated with it as compared to the gold standard. But I would call that an acceptable amount of inaccuracy for the use case that we're looking at. Right. Taking that a step in this compare and contrast, how material are those actual differences to the end user? Yeah, of your saying from the Gatorade type sensing method to ours. I mean, I think they're massive and, you know, we don't have the opportunity of being internal employees at Gatorade. Um, by the way, their, their patch is actually made by somebody else. So we don't have the opportunity to dive into their science and, and see what their validation data looks like. Um, what we certainly can surmise is that, you know, the, the Gatorade patches sensing method is built, is built off of color metric dyes as opposed to any sort of electrochemical reading, which is what ours is. I mentioned those electrodes earlier. 
So their technology is built off varying shades of purple to understand, for example, the electrolyte content in your sweat. And that for that very reason, that's why you can't just look with your own human eye at the Gatorade patch and say, I'm in such and such an electrolyte range. That's why it has to be read at the end by the camera phone, right? It's it's looking at that sort of color, color analysis. So, it, you know, in my opinion, those colorimetric dyes, um, you almost think back to like, you know, first year chemistry or like eighth grade chemistry. It's literally this litmus paper. That's exactly that's what, what I was just doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's literally what it is. It's lit, it's litmus paper for your sweat. Which, yeah. if you ask me, is that really different than you know assessing the color of your urine? Not really. It's kind of the same process. It's a color chart. So when I dug into that technology, that is Meredith. That's the exact same thing that I did. I thought back to my freshman year chemistry class, and I'm yeah. some random titration experiment, and going, could I like? the color of this is what I'm determining the advice off of. Like, do I, do I want that to be the standard? And yeah. people are going to come up with analogies where that is right. actually the standard and things like that. But mm-hmm. per- personally, I think right. in this use case, it's, it's not the way we should be going because there's better technology out there. That's neither here nor there. Let's get right. to real time mm-hmm. data. So you envision this from the onset as your hydration coach in your ear. Yes. And I don't know what state the app is in, right? But no. when when athletes hear that, they're like, oh my gosh, somebody's going to tell me, drink now, drink now, drink now. Yes. Walk, walk the users through how that advice is first generated. And we talked about building the profile earlier. Yeah. And then obviously disseminated to the athlete. And I realized yeah. that there's you know, you've got product development that's looking at like 24 months by now, but let's try to take a real practical <laughs> approach. Like, like here and now, how do you, how are you, how are you collecting that advice? And then how are you ultimately disseminating it? Yeah. And this is really the crux of it, right? This is the core of the value proposition. And it, and it's really been our North star from day one, like everything we've heard from any athlete, regardless of talent level, gender distance has always been just tell me what to do yeah. and when to do it. Yeah. So, so that's how we built it. So basically we, we talked about how that data is being generated. It's getting, you know, transferred from the patch to, um, you know, the phone, the Garmin watch, whatever, whatever device by computer. Um, so then what's happening is it's literally giving you moment by moment updates in a couple different ways. The, the baseline data is um, cumulative fluid losses and electrolyte losses throughout your workout. That's the baseline right there. But you can set a notification to also prompt you to drink and and with what um, at intervals that you choose. So my favorite one is based on time. I would rather be told every 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever interval feels right to me. Let me know what my needs are in that cadence. Oh, okay. So it's like 15 minutes, you've lost four ounces, replace four ounces with X, right? 15 minutes, you've lost eight ounces, replace whatever it is, whatever. Exactly. Is. Oh, that's cool shit. That's good. Perhaps more popular is actually the volume based. Yeah, sure. So I will send you a notification every time you've lost, let's say four ounces again, completely customizable. If you want that five, 10, 12, whatever. Um, but that one's really popular in the sense that you can just go about your workout completely tune out any of the, the data, but you will get feedback haptically on your watch or whatever the case may be to say, okay, you've crossed that four ounce threshold again, go ahead and drink that four ounces. Whether that notification comes every four minutes or every 14 minutes has everything to do with how quickly you're sweating, but you're getting that consistent notification. Um, I'd use that by the way. 
This is why yeah. this whole thing is so intriguing. If I had an athlete that mm-hmm. was not great, any, anything but not great. If I had an athlete that's really good with their hydration, I'd kind of leave them alone. <laughs> don't, don't mess with it. <laughs> but if they're average or below average, which is more yeah. than half, way more than sure. half, I would use it in just that fashion. We're going to go out, yeah. we're going to build your profile. And then during the race, we're going to put this thing in the air so you don't have to think about it. Because in Absolutely. ultra, it's hard. Like, yeah, it's you get Absolutely. 10 hours into a race and you're all foggy and you know, you're not, you know, it's hard, it's hard to like figure out the fluid volume and your totally. you know, hydration pack or whatever you're using your bottles or whatever. Like that, right. I think that that's the killer use case in my opinion. And Absolutely. really, if you think about it from a high performance standpoint, breaking right. two projects, right? They're yeah. rolling up on a bike and drink this. Don't think about it. Just drink it. They don't have the That's data. Right. They don't have the real-time data, but they've used a predictive model to insert whatever they're trying to do, fluid, electrolytes, energy, kind of, kind of whatever it is. Absolutely. It's the same thing, but you're basing it off of what's going on in real time from a hydration exactly. perspective. Exactly. And it's funny that you mentioned breaking too, because we actually work with Brad Wilkins, who is the oh, physiologist yeah. on breaking too. He's on our advisory board, but it's, it, that's exactly the, the sort of design centric experience that we try to create for that athlete, right? No one's trying to do any head math. Nobody's trying to do any ratios or calculations when they're, you know, on the roads, we're trying to make it easy. Um, so, but both of those use cases I just mentioned, by the way, really work for athletes that are carrying their fluids with them. And that may not always be the case. There may be athletes that are relying on aid stations or water stops, hydration stops. For those scenarios, you use it exactly the way that you use any other data feature on your Garmin, for example. So you'd come up to that aid station, you'd look at your watch and say, all right, I've cumulatively lost, you know, nine ounces, whatever the case may be consume that we actually do have a feature on there that's optional where you can log what you've replenished. So if you're somebody that carries fluids, you drink that nine ounces at the aid station, you hit a quick little, you know, like the lap function on your Garmin, same concept, single button tap. It will reset that back to zero for you so that when you get to the next aid station, it's just what you've lost since the last time you replenished, like really trying to make it foolproof. That's rad. So it's Garmin compatible now through Garmin IQ or through Garmin IQ. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's so rad. So Thanks. you get the you get the data on your Garmin on the phone anywhere yeah. else any of the any other watch compatibility? Um, we did the Apple Watch integration is real simple. We know that's a much you know less frequently used device <laughs> among endurance athletes, but it's an easy integration. So we did we did include that one. That's all we have for hardware integrations right now. Um, little sneak peek is we are looking at other hardware integration partnerships to come. Um, you know, with folks like, and software ones as well, like folks like Wahoo and Zwift and, you know, Training Peaks and Strava. These are all kind of part of the pipeline and they all make it really easy with, uh, with open APIs. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, from the onset, I think that you, you're solving a real problem there. That use case is one that hundreds and thousands of athletes have gone through. I come into an aid yeah. station. I don't know how far yeah. behind I am on fluids. Am I supposed right. to drink all I can? Am I supposed to right. drink to thirst? Am I supposed to right. do whatever? And everybody's trying to help. And usually there's like five differences of opinion right there. If you've got the gold standard, A, you know that you're going to perform better at the end of the day. B, you're less likely to make a critical mistake in an ultra. We actually have to worry about that. We have to worry about people making critical mistakes and getting sent to the hospital or whatever. But C, people don't appreciate how much the mental energy costs. Mm -hmm. And, And this is... 
when I used to have this debate with people about drinking to thirst or drinking on a schedule. <clears throat> and it seemed like five or seven years ago, people would still argue on the drinking to thirst piece, just being efficacious in itself or more efficacious than itself versus drinking yeah. on some sort of schedule that you've, that you've selectively yeah. uh, des- designed. Now that yeah. that research is generally flushed out and those people have kind of quieted down, the knock becomes it's too hard. Right. It's too hard, especially in ultra where the temperature changes a lot and your hydration needs change a lot to figure that out in real time takes a lot of mental energy. And sometimes the mental energy isn't worth it. But if you take that component out, I think you've got a big advantage. Yeah, no, I'm glad that you said that because that, that's also been an important feature from us from the beginning is how do we just literally automate this for people? Like take it out of the mental calculus that they're trying to do to create, you know, especially on race day, but in training too. Can you paint any other feedback from the users that you've had uh, out there in the field? Like just so people who are listening can be like, oh yeah, this person experienced that. I, I identify with it as well. Um, oh gosh. I mean, we've heard such a range of feedback. I mean, everything from, you know, being able to, you know, sort of think about the patch as like a safety net that, you know, how many, how many features do we think about of um, impacting whether we have a really strong run or we have a bad run, right? It's there's hydration, nutrition, sleep, fueling, fitness. I mean, you know, hydration, as we know, is is absolutely one of the most impactful. So some of the feedback we've gotten is like the ability to to just slap a patch on, get data on the device I'm already using, and just take the hydration risk off the table. Um, you know, if we're doing our job right, that's you know. That's kind of the the baseline value proposition. The right simplicity there. of it, right? The because, simplicity of it. I mean, I so we talked about this at the running event. So I recently released that book that I was talking about there. Yeah. And we use the standardized sweat test and things like that. And yes, what? it's only getting it's only getting, you know, total body water loss, not the electrolyte composition at that state at right. that point. But I think that that's the simplest thing. And I bang my head against the friggin' desk every time I try to get an athlete to do it and they they don't or they forget yeah. or they have their clothes on during one and not during the other or exactly. they are, they're still holding their water bottle at the end of the day. It's just like, right, oh my right. God. Or they used the restroom before they did the weight, like whatever uh, the case may be. I mean, no, it's, it's the simplicity of it. I will say too, we alluded to this earlier too, is that um, if we can, I keep talking about fluid losses and electrolyte losses as the two main um, data drivers, and they are, but the one that we create out of the ratio of the two of those is sweat composition. So on average, you know, what is the electrolyte content of your sweat? And of course, again, this this varies with every workout, but if, if that can be a key part of this profile as well, and we can say, you know, your electrolyte loss is in the range of 32 milligrams per ounce and put it in a unit of measure that's actually usable, right? Here in the US, we think about fluids in ounces and and electrolytes in milligrams. So if we make it something you can literally read off the package of your hydration brand of choice, again, we are agnostic, you know, it can help you figure out in this spectrum of like, I think Morton has something like 17 milligrams per ounce of electrolytes and element is like closer to a hundred. So if you know where you sit in that spectrum, it, it can do two things. It can help you pick the product that's best for you, or we can help you mix you know, yeah. how many packets of Morton into how many ounces of water to create a beverage that's perfectly in sync with your sweat composition. Yeah. The, the listeners of the podcast, uh, will, 
will remember the interview that I did with Andy Blow, where his company, Precision Hydration, is, yeah. is using an at at home, at rest yeah. type of way to yeah to to manage electrolyte or to to determine electrolyte composition, and they're putting people in buckets, right, low, medium, high, and I think they have like extra high now or something like that. Yeah. But your device can do the same thing, and yeah. then you can go out into the commercial market space and say this product exactly with this electrolyte yeah. composition suits my needs. And you're right. It is a huge drain and almost nobody understands it. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, that's, that's something that our commercial team is trying to think about too, is like, there really is a very wide range of, of sort of sophistication and savvy with that data. And I imagine most of your listeners are probably on the upper end of that, of really having dialed into hydration and nutrition um, but there are a lot of folks that go out there and wing it and they, they still do trial and error without a lot of, you know, really getting into the data of it. So, so we may have a little bit of work out of us to educate yeah. some of our users on, you know, when we say that you've lost 200 milligrams of electrolytes, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. And what are you supposed to do about it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's going to be the more illuminating piece of it is the matching the for on the on the user side of it is matching the product specifically to the electrolyte composition yeah. that's showing up on the patch. I think yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Okay, how can people get a hold of this? We've created like the least compelling cell ever because it was way too technical. <laughs> we don't have the set. People appreciate. It. I I told Meredith at the running events like don't bring your salespeople on because right. I'll tear them apart. Bring yes. people who know what they're talking about. Make sure it's practical. Make sure it's not too salesy. You know, let's talk about the holes and flaws and, you know, moles Absolutely. and hairs and wrinkles and things like that that are on products because they're everywhere. That's right. So where is it in the commercial space? If somebody listening wanted to go and buy it right now and start dorking around with it, trying to figure out their hydration uh, strategy yep. for their next ultra marathon, how would they go about doing it? Yeah, well, it's it's well time that we're looking at shipping finished product early this spring. So just in time for training and spring racing season. Um, but pre-orders are, in fact, open right now. Um, so our website, preorders.nixbiosensors.com, um, Nix is spelled N-I-X, um, the, that's open. So anybody who's interested can go get in there. We're not even taking payment information right now. We'll do that when we ship finished product. But, um, you know, first and foremost, this helps us understand what category of athletes is, is really in highest demand for the product. Um, but also it's more, more of a functional piece for us. It helps us understand what our orders to our contract manufacturers should look like <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a brand new product, a brand new, you know, product category. There are no comps out there for us. So this helps us really dial in what the demand is going to look like. I appreciate that. And you don't want stuff sh sitting on shelves either. That's the, that's yeah. the other flaw that you could make. Exactly. That. Okay. Exactly. So I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If, if anybody out there is curious, go and check it out. I will put in pre-order and effort a full disclosure. Awesome. Meredith says there's no comps. I'm going to pay full price. I'm going to probably ship a few to my athletes and see what the use cases are and things like that. I, I really, I really do honestly think that you solve a problem, you do it in a way that works. You're not overselling your stuff, which irritates yeah. the bejesus out of me. Yeah. And, and, and ultra very specifically, I think this is, this is a mission critical area to figure out. Hydration always comes first, then nutrition comes second. And if you can figure out the hydration part, it almost always takes care of itself. 
No, I love that. We love hearing from athletes too. I will add that in. There may be needs or features or idea, and we are constantly soliciting feedback. So there is a contact um, email address at the bottom of that webpage that I just mentioned. Don't hesitate to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Awesome, Meredith. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Other than your website, Nick's Hydration. I, can't, I always screw up people's websites. Hold on. I just have it right here. <laughs> Nick's Biosensors. There we go. Nick's Biosensors. Yeah. Is there anywhere else where people can, can get a hold of you, your team, or your work, or learn more about what you guys have cooking? That's the best place. There's contact information right there on the website that will get you directly to us as well. Okay, sweet. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Good luck to you. I hope to bring you back in two years once all the validation research comes out and we'll talk about that and then what iterations you have had over the product over that time frame. That'd be awesome. So good to see you, Jason. Thanks. Absolutely. All right, folks, there you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Meredith for coming on the podcast today. And I can't emphasize enough how excited I am for this market to come out in the marketplace. And I am not one to get excited about these things. Uh, But I've learned over the course of my coaching career that there are always companies that are going to come up out on the marketplace and some of them are going to make it and other ones are not. And throughout all of that experience, I think I have a pretty good nose as to how to differentiate between those two groups. And I think Meredith and her team, they are onto something. It solves a very important question that we have in sports science and in endurance sports. And they also do it in a very practical way that everyday athletes can get their hands on. So I'm excited to see what they do in the space. I'm gonna go on their pre-orders and order a couple of batches and use them for myself and send them out to my athletes and see what they think. Whether or not you do it yourself or not, you're gonna to have to be the ultimate determinant of that. There are no discounts for you guys listening out there. Hashtag sorry, not sorry about that. I appreciate all of the listeners out there today. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends and your training buddies. It helps out a tremendous amount to get the word out about this podcast. I'm also very appreciative of when I get to meet people out at races and who recognize me just from talking to some stranger just through my voice and they get to come up and ask a follow-up question uh, out in the real world. I'm gonna be at Black Canyons in just a few weeks. And so if you are there, come and hit me up. I'll be by my adventure van. I'd love to talk shop with you. That is it for today. Appreciate the heck out of you. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.